Listen. Just listen. I'm Andrew Riley, and you're listening to the Second Story Podcast. Second Story is a hybrid performance series of stories, wine, and music. A collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Second Story company member, Julie Ganey. I'm sitting in my backyard in a lawn chair, the old-fashioned kind made of woven nylon strips on an aluminum frame. The late May night is damp and cool. The dark yard is illuminated by the one street light over the alley and the spill from our dining room window behind me. Across my lap, a fully loaded 24-inch super soaker water gun. A breeze rustles through the leaves of the oak above me. It's peaceful, but I'm furious. Seething with righteous indignation. I can feel the heat rising off my body, but I'm clear-headed, laser-focused. I'm a fuming vigilante with a water gun, and I don't care who peeks out their window to see it. How did I, a generally peace-loving wife and mother, get here? Well, it began seven months earlier, last October, when I'd spent a couple of days expanding the garden beds in my backyard for the purpose of planting a vegetable garden in the spring. I dug up a forsythia, moved some stuff around. This was my grand plan, as the country was in a free fall toward a recession, to grow our own food, save us some money, something that made sense. I read Animal, Vegetable, Mineral, and The Urban Gardener, and The Backyard Homestead. I bought graph paper, and I I plotted out intricate plans for a strawberry patch, and vegetables, trellises for cucumbers and beans. All last winter, as the markets tanked, banks needed propping up, and car companies begged for money, foreclosures soared, and pensions people had paid into dissolved. As my husband's office distributed pink slips like confetti, and everybody I worked for had to pay me late, as we as a country looked for somebody, anybody, to blame, I would survey my garden from my kitchen window, watching the snow pile up over the carefully composted beds. Then February hit, and February here always feels like being hit, (laughs) over and over by a cold, wet pillow. In February, our mortgage broker screwed up our refinance. Appliances in our house broke one after the other. My brother-in-law lost his job, Bernie Madoff was indicted, and we all had a general feeling of unfairness and being screwed. (laughs) But then, it's March. If you're a gardener, watching your garden come back in the spring is like watching your kid wake up from a nap. You know every part of it intimately. You made it, it's yours. And it does not have to be the best one on the block to be perfect. In April, I'm poring over seed catalogs. Plant porn, as my husband Brad calls it. On the first warm day, I'm out there, I'm clearing up the leaves and the mulch from my garden, and I discover that all of the new area where, where the dirt was fresh and soft and exquisitely cared for 
has been used, apparently over and over, by the neighbor's cat, Noel, as a litter box. I realized with a sinking feeling why I had seen the cat prowling through the yard, through the leaves, through the snow, almost every day during the winter, though I hadn't thought anything of it at the time. The smell is horrible. It's, it's more rancid and rotten than just a poop smell. Everywhere that I turn up the earth, there's this gray, ashy cat shit. <laughs> At first, I'm like, okay, free fertilizer, right? <laughs> but no. The internet assures me that cat poop, far from being free fertilizer, is full of pathogens. It's dangerous to grow food in it, even if I could somehow stomach the idea. The next day, on the playground of my daughter's school, I tell my story to Marlene, a veteran gardener and the nanny of one of my daughter Dorothy's friends. She asks me if I've spoken to my neighbors about the cat yet, and I say, well, no, and she cuts me off. This is what you do. You leave here today, you go to PetSmart. You know this place, Smart Pet? You buy a box, a carrier like this, maybe $35. You put in the cat, you drive to Elmhurst, Schaumburg, one of those places, and you leave the cat on the steps of a shelter. You drive home, you don't think about it no more. I laugh and, and shake my head, no. Trust me. This is the only way you will get rid of that cat. Do it. I tell her I don't think I can, but I'm not at all sure about it. When I broach the topic with Gina, Noelle's owner, she's gracious as usual. Oh God, Julie, she says, I'm sorry, that is so gross. I swear to God, that's why I wanted to keep that cat an indoor cat. Now. These neighbors have been friends for years. They're generous and supportive. My daughter Dorothy spends as much time at their house as Gina's kids do at mine. Gina assures me that she'll keep the cat indoors as much as she can, but I know even before she promises that's impossible. I mean, Gina, unlike me, is not a control freak. <laughs> there are four kids running in and out of that house, and this cat is a prowler, a killer of birds, frogs, a maimer of squirrels. <laughs> I spend the next weekend shoveling shit, literally, clearing out all of the contaminated topsoil and replacing it with $100 worth of fresh dirt. I set up this flimsy fence of chicken wire to keep the cat out, but she throws her weight against it and it bows over. Then I spread the chicken wire like a blanket over the entire garden weighted down by rocks. I sprinkle cayenne pepper around the perimeter. I plant marigolds and I try to locate this plant bred in Germany that supposedly repels cats. <laughs> the garden now looks sinister, like a miniature <laughs> Alcatraz. <laughs> and the very next morning, as I sip my coffee at the kitchen window, contemplating the recently foreclosed house across the alley, there is Noelle in the garden, 
brown and black striped, neither pretty or ugly, just a plain old cat, discovering the chicken wire gingerly extending a paw and then pulling it quickly back. She won't step onto the chicken wire, but she starts padding around the perimeter of it and then tentatively begins scratching. Jesus, I realize I'm gonna have to chicken wire the entire yard to keep her out. <laughs> a moment later, there it is, the hunched, straining silhouette of a defecating cat. <laughs> Brad finds me there stewing on his way out the door to work. I should have followed Marlene's advice and gotten rid of that cat before I mentioned it to anyone, I growl. Now it's too late, I'd be the only suspect if something happened to her. <laughs> Oh, Julie, you could never do that, he says, hugging me from behind. Yes, I could, I say. No, I really could. His eyes cloud up, and he pulls back from me a little. Pushing forward, I say, you know, I'm glad this has come up, because you have a right to know who you're married to. Could I take a hammer and kill the cat in cold blood? Of course not. But could I have taken the cat to a shelter where she would have been put into a peaceful, permanent sleep? <laughs> yes, hell yes! God, think of the birds and the frogs that would be spared. Jesus, Julie, he says, it's not your cat. Yeah, I know it's not, but it's ruining my garden. Brad shakes his head. Look, I have to go. <laughs> They're laying off another 200 people this week. I don't want to give anybody an excuse to fire me because I'm late. He heads out the door and throws back, you know, honey, you should get some of those topsy-turvy tomato planters like on TV. They don't even need dirt, right? Out in the garden, Noel is scratching fastidiously covering her mess. She looks up at me in the window. Not an alarmed, caught look, but a slow raising of her triangular head as if to say, yeah, I'm here, shitting on your dreams. <laughs> the trees. Their branches, still bare in the cold, gray, almost light of morning, throw up their arms in alarm and wild despair. I start complaining to my friends about my predicament, and they all say, wow, that sucks. But what they're thinking is, yikes, crazy plant chick. But think of it this way. You know, maybe you have something that you love to do, that's your thing, you know? like bicycling or, or pottery or, or yoga. You know, what if I came over to your house and I wrecked all your bikes so you couldn't ride them this summer? You know, or what if I came over and I peed on all your pottery clay? <laughs> or what if I hired a big hairy man with terrible gas to sit in front of you in every yoga class? <laughs> That's what this was like for me. Over the next few weeks, Gina brings over muffins, pasta, hand-me-down clothes for my daughter like she always does. 
But now I feel awkward accepting them because of my secret, twisting resentment. Heirloom vegetable seeds that were ordered weeks before begin arriving in the mail, and I plant them through the holes of the chicken wire extended over the dirt. But the cat is there, always, sniffing around, chewing on a corner of the wire in the barely warm sun. Next door, I hear Gina and her husband doing yard work, laughing, enjoying their shit-free yard. <laughs> I'm filled with jealousy, fury, frustration at the injustice of it all. And I'm starting to hate myself a little. Gina peeks over the fence. She sees Noelle and says to her nine-year-old, Oh, God, Tony, go get that cat and put her inside. How did she get out? I'm sorry, Julie. And she is. Tony bounds into the yard, falls on the grass, and begins nuzzling, <clears throat> nuzzling Noelle, crooning to her. Oh, you little catty cat, I love you. <laughs> he looks up at me and he says, Julie, Noelle knows how to kiss people on both cheeks, just like in Europe. Watch. My daughter and Serafina <laughs> spill through the fence from the fisher's yard into ours. They join Tony in the grass, sweet-talking the cat. And now I'm pissed at my daughter, the traitor. <laughs> the kids abandon the cat for popsicles next door, leaving Noelle to clean herself smugly as I glare at her. And now, finally, tonight, watching Noelle actually step onto the chicken wire like it's something she's daring herself to do, I have had enough. No fucking L. Her glittering eyes, confused and uncertain, she peers out at me from under the lilac bush where I'd cornered her with the super soaker. We stare at each other. I'm unhinged and omnipotent. Something in me is almost vibrating like a tuning fork hitting against something metal and it plays out, making me feel hollow and light. My knee begins to bounce and when the water sloshes in the gun on my lap, I pick it up, I aim it at the cat. But I'm already slipping, my clarity fading. I already know it's not gonna work, tormenting a cat so she doesn't wanna come back in my yard. I mean, I don't even know if cats have a memory like that. <laughs> I pull the trigger, slowly. I let one weak arch of spray trickle down on her. She shudders a little and then diffidently begins to clean herself. And I could feel my own rage leaking, my self-pity retreating. Around me and everywhere, jobs and money and lovers are lost. Circumstances aren't fair and can't be controlled. Gardens are ruined and sometimes Truly terrible things happen, and we wait for something to disarm us, even if it's eventual fatigue. <laughs> the next morning, Brad and Dorothy and I drive out to a nursery west on Tui somewhere. We pick out a $300 crabapple tree with pink blossoms, and we arrange to have it delivered because it's too big to fit in the trunk of our Corolla. We come back and Brad helps me remove the chicken wire and pull up the seedlings as Tony and Serafina and Dorothy play on the swing set. I look out my kitchen window now and there it is, this beautiful tree, back in the sunniest part of our yard, the cat pawing a butterfly beneath it. The tree's branches thrown up in acquiescence against the bright blue sky.
That was Julie Ganey. If her story gave you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar and at the Morseland, or one of our upcoming special events. This August, Second Story is performing as part of Filet of Solo at the Lifeline Theater, and at Lucia's Wine Bar August 10th and 11th, and then again at the 5th Annual Doug Meese Memorial and Benefit August 14th. Visit our website for more details. The Second Story podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstro, Shannon Sullivan, Miles Pulaski, Mikhail Fixel, and Nick Kawahara, and I'm Andrew Riley. Serendipity is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Illinois Art Council, a state agency, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts Work Fund, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story, the performances and our performers, or to make a donation, visit us online at secondstory.com. Everybody